Do we have any hope of rest, eternal rest in the kingdom of God? And we've seen in the book of Hebrews that what Jesus offers is better than what what we've had offered before. And so the rest that Jesus offers is better than the rest of the promised land. Jesus offers us spiritual and eternal rest, a confidence in salvation that comes through him. And so listen as I read Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. This is Hebrews 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David as was said before. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Let me pray that God would apply the truth of his gospel to our lives, that we might understand the hope of salvation offered to us. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, for this promised eternal rest. Lord, for those who feel uh, harried and, and worried and, and busied by the, the priorities of life, Lord, let your word be a comfort to us, a word of gospel hope and salvation. Lord, where, where those sit and listen without faith in Jesus, Lord, today give them the faith to believe in you. Lord, for those of us that have put our trust in Jesus, give us this assurance of salvation that the rest is ours forever because of the ministry of Jesus. Father, we come praying in the name of Jesus. Amen. We all know that feeling when it seems like you've missed your opportunity. Something good comes along, and yet it seems to have passed you by. Back at the height of the Hamilton excitement, Laura entered to win last-minute tickets for the traveling production of the Broadway show. When we told our daughter Leah that we'd won two tickets to the show that everybody wanted to see, Leah was not excited. Because Leah figured if there are two tickets to the show and Laura has to go because her name is on the tickets, and then Dad gets the other ticket, that leaves zero tickets left for me as the daughter. So, I suggested we settle who should get the, the second ticket with a rap battle. We would sing lyrics to the Hamilton show, and whoever performed the best would be chosen to go. Now, at this, Leah immediately lit up because she knew all of the lyrics to the show, and I knew 
none of them, which meant the rap battle was over before it even began. Leah knew that this song of of, of the, the songs of, of American history in modern musical form would, would be hers to see and enjoy. But we all know that that feeling of having something good pass you by. When the job interview doesn't materialize and then you find out, well, that job has been given to somebody else. When the first chair in the orchestra is handed to another musician, when the starting lineup is posted and you're left on the bench, when the blowout deal is advertised, but by the time you arrive, well, of course, they're out of it. Perhaps it's even more serious. What if the opportunity of spiritual salvation has passed you by? In Hebrews 4, we are warned that the Exodus generation was not able to enter the promised land because of their unbelief. And if they weren't able to get in, what does that mean for us? Because they saw the huge miracles of, of the, the plagues and the exodus and the crossing of the Red Sea, and yet they turned away from God in unbelief and did not enter the promised rest God had given to them. And so if they missed out, then perhaps the opportunity has passed us by. Maybe the door is shut. Now, the Hamilton musical introduces us to the brilliant and driven Alexander Hamilton as a teenage immigrant to New York. And near the beginning of the musical, as he meets the other heroes of the coming revolution, he sings, I am not throwing away my shot. Okay, I would have lost the rap battle even if I had known any of the lyrics. But he says, I'm not throwing away my shot. He sees that, that right here in front of him is the opportunity. And, and actually, in the song... Lin-Manuel Miranda fills the song with biblical allusions. Hamilton sings, foes oppose us, we take an honest stand, we roll like Moses, claiming our promised land. He mentions Jesus and his bleeding. Hamilton concludes, for the first time, I'm thinking past tomorrow. So Leah, I would have lost the rap battle, but we're going to use a Lin-Manuel Miranda song as the outline for today's sermon. All right, Moses, Jesus, and tomorrow. Okay, obviously that was, that's you know, pretty broad and pretty big, and I really didn't need Lin-Manuel's help to get all the way there. But we see an Old Testament warning and the provision of Jesus and then our hope for tomorrow. The, the passage is, is clear on what, what's most important here because it's repeated for us three times. In verse 1, we're given this hope that the promise of entering God's rest still stands. It's repeated for us in verse 6. It still remains that some will enter that rest. And then the command is given to us in verse 11. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. And so first we look at the Old Testament context to understand what, what is at risk here and what is the warning that's really given to us. And so we look first back at the time of Moses. That if the people of the wilderness generation did not enter God's rest, then how can we. If they heard the gospel and yet turned away from it, then what hope is there for us? Because in verse 2, we're told that we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. They had the gospel, the good news of God's rescue of salvation was preached to them, and yet the message they heard was of no value to them 
Verse 2 explains it, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. To hear the message is not enough. You have to combine it with faith. You have to actually throw yourself on the mercy of God to receive the good news of the gospel that's offered to you. And then verse 3 says, Now we who have believed enter that rest. And then look at the argument of verse 3. You can be sure that you enter God's rest. Why? Because God said they will never enter his rest. Wait, that, that, that argument seems backwards. How can I be sure I will enter rest if they didn't? See, the, the warning of Psalm 95, and that's a quotation from Psalm 95. We, we saw that last week, a lengthy quotation from Psalm 95. And so how can a warning that they won't enter the rest be a promise for us? Because right in it is contained the promise that God's rest is still open. And so last week we saw that Psalm 95 was set in the context of the book of Numbers at the time of the wandering of God's people. Now we'll see Psalm 95 go back even further into the ministry of Moses, back to when Moses was was writing the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. Because verses verses, uh, 3, 4, and 5 point us back to the work of God at the very beginning. Because the argument in verse 3 is that you can know that we, when we believe, enter the rest of God because the warning was given in Psalm 95. And Psalm 95 wasn't just about the Exodus generation. Psalm 95 is, is a summary of what the whole Bible has been about because it takes us all the way back to Genesis. And in, and in Genesis, we, we have the, the word, it, it, verse 4, where, where the author says, for somewhere God has spoken about the seventh day in these words. He doesn't mean, I can't remember the reference. Can you remember where is creation in the story of the Bible? No, even, even our children in junior church would know where is creation in the Bible. Well, it's at the beginning. And what's, the, what's in the beginning? Well, that's literally the name of the book, first book of the Bible, Genesis 1. So he's saying, we all know what, what, what I'm talking about. It, it's, I mean, somewhere it's been said. You know it. It's, it's, it's so common that we all understand it. That God on the seventh day rested from all his work. We're going back to the very beginning. That there was a place of real rest offered to the people of God. That Genesis 1 gives a, a pattern of creation. Then on each day, God acted, God worked. And then there was morning and there was evening each day. Except the seventh day, you don't get the, the, the conclusion to the seventh day of creation. Moses does not conclude the passage by saying, and there was morning and there was evening the seventh day. What he's saying is the seventh day of God's creation is right now. It's still here. God made everything and then God entered his, his rest. Now, that doesn't mean God isn't doing anything. God is still active, sustaining his world. God is still bringing salvation to us. But it means that the day of Sabbath is meant to be every day for us. And so the fact that the people of Israel, freed from Egypt, did not enter the promised land doesn't negate the promised rest that God offered. Because the rest wasn't, the promise wasn't first given in the book of Exodus. The promise was first given in the book of Genesis, which of course comes first. And so that promise still remains, that rest is available for God's people. The failure of the wilderness generation to get into the promised land does not negate the hope that is available to us. The exclusion of the wilderness generation does not end the promise for everyone. And yet it comes as a warning. 
It comes as a warning to us that we can't just assume that, well, because I've heard the gospel, that I'm getting in. That generation heard the gospel. They saw the gospel. They experienced the gospel. They passed through the sea and saw the rescue of God, and yet they did not enter the promised rest of God. And so being here on a Sunday morning in worship does not guarantee you the hope of eternal life. Even, tragically, being a member of this church does not guarantee you the hope of eternal life. Because you might be able to parrot back the right answers but not genuinely believe. You might still be clinging to your own goodness or your own works rather than throwing yourself upon the work of God and receiving his rest. Because maybe you find the message, the good news, the gospel, maybe you find it too restrictive. It just feels too narrow. That, well, this is the only way that you could be saved only through Jesus? Or maybe you find it too restrictive in that, that it actually expects something of us, something in our lives to change. That the reason the, the, the people did not enter the land is because they disbelieved and they disobeyed. They would not trust what God had said and turned away from God. Well, you know, I'd like God to just stay out of it so I can do what I want. And so the warning is real. It goes back to the time of Moses leading the people out of the wilderness. It goes back to the time of Moses writing for us in the, in the, in the book of Genesis. And so the fact that the, the people of that generation did not enter the promised land doesn't mean that the promised land is closed to all of us. But, but what if the promised land that the next generation got means that, well, then it's done. There is no promise left for us. Well, this then takes Psalm 67 and, and continues the argument. Look at verses 6 and 7. That, that Psalm 95, written generations, hundreds of years after the time of the, the Exodus, Psalm 95 was written as if it were applicable in the time it was written. And, and we saw this last week. The today of Psalm 95 is the today of, of David's time period, generations after the Exodus. The today of Psalm 95 is today, like today, today, right now, for us. That's the argument in verses 6 and 7, that it still remains that some will enter that rest. Those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. The promise remains because the today of Psalm 95 is today. And we know that the promise didn't reach its full fulfillment in the time of, of, of Moses and Joshua because, well, the next generation got in. So Moses did not get in for his own disobedience. The people of that generation did not get in for their disobedience. Only Joshua and Caleb from that first generation were allowed to enter the promised land. But look at verse 8. We're, we're being given the, the argument here that that just because they then eventually got into the promised land, that, doesn't, that didn't use up the promise. Look at verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So the argument is, if, if getting into the physical promised land, the land of Canaan, was the end goal of the Exodus, then when Joshua got into the promised land, then the promise was completely fulfilled. 
And, and actually, the book of Joshua almost hints at this. In, in Joshua 21, we were told that, that after they, they defeated the enemies of God, we're told in Joshua 21, the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their forefathers. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord handed all their enemies over to them. And so you might think, well, they got in and they got rest. And so that must be all that there was. And yet Psalm 95 tells us that's not all that there was. Because even though they got the promised land, the promised land was always pointing forward to an even bigger promise. It was pointing forward to a heavenly promise. See, the time of Moses provides warning to us. Moses' words in Genesis 2 offer the promised rest just as God rested on the seventh day. From the time of creation, the blessing of God, of eternal life, has been offered to God's people. And then Moses led the people out of slavery in Egypt, but God's judgment meant that that first generation did not enter the promised land. They would not receive the rest of God. And even the leadership of Joshua bringing the people into the land meant that they were still to be looking for something more. And we know that that's in the mind of the, the author of Hebrews because Hebrews 11 makes that explicit. Actually, one, one pastor says that, that if you want to understand what's happening in the book of Hebrews, you just need to go to Hebrews 11 and it'll summarize it for you. That, that test your interpretation of what happens elsewhere in the book by going to that great chapter of faith in Hebrews 11. And so flip there. If you have your Bible still open in front of you, uh, turn from Hebrews 4 to, to Hebrews 11. Where we're told that, that, that Abraham responded by faith. That Abraham, even going and getting the land of promise, that that land wasn't, uh, the, the promised land offered to Moses wasn't about the dirt and the soil and the, and the crops that they could grow in Canaan. It was about an even bigger promise. In Hebrews 11, verse 13, this is what we read. Hebrews eleven thirteen, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The promised land of Canaan was always meant to point the people of God to an even bigger promise. That the kingdom of God is going to come in its fullness. In the new heavens and new earth, God's kingdom will stretch from shore to shore. It will cover everything, everywhere. That's the promise that the people were looking forward to in the book of Genesis. That's the promise that the, the generation in the wilderness should have been looking forward to, not just getting into Canaan and planting crops, but the heavenly promise that God was offering to them. Now, now I, I told you that, that Lynn manuels outline, it promised a reference to Jesus. And when we turn back to Hebrews 4, we, we actually might have missed it because of the way that we translate the English of verse 8. Because the name Joshua in Hebrew is translated into English as Joshua, but it's translated into Greek, which is what Hebrews was originally written in. It's translated as Jesus. 
The, the Old Testament name Joshua is the first century Greek name Jesus. So that's for whom Jesus was named. Because what does Joshua's name mean? The Lord is my salvation. God forgives sinners. That's why, why, why um, the, the angel tells Joseph to name the baby Jesus because he will save his God's people from their sins. Now, if you have a, a really old translation in front of you, like a translation from the 17th century, the King James Version, verse 8 will read, for if Jesus had given them rest, almost confusing us because we think, wait, hasn't the whole point of the passage been that Jesus gives us rest? And so our translators make clear, well, that Jesus being spoken of here is the Old Testament Joshua. And yet the very fact that in, in Greek, the name is exactly the same. This is the, like, it's, it's, it's the exact same letters, the exact same pronunciation. It's the same name. It, it, in Greek, would show us, oh, the promised land that Joshua was bringing them to was pointing forward to the land that Jesus offers. The promise through Joshua is fulfilled in Jesus. And actually here in this, in this the fact that, that Jesus is, or Joshua is meant to point us toward Jesus, it, it's actually showing us the prototype from creation, that God promised rest. That in Joshua, the people gained a, a glimpse of what that rest would look like. But in Jesus, you have the fullness of that rest. Now, have you ever been on a hike and you wonder if you're getting close to the end? And especially if you've got uh, ones with little legs tagging along with you and you're thinking, this better end soon because we have to turn around and get back to the car. And so you keep asking the people coming back the other way, how much farther? And, and you, 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 you partway up the mountain decide like, I don't know, I think that view was good enough. We should just turn around and get back to the car. But then you keep going and you wonder, wait, is, is this the view? Like, is this where we were supposed to get to? Until you finally get to the top of the mountain and you realize, oh, without a doubt, this is where I was supposed to be. Like, this isn't just a view where I'm sort of peeking between those couple of trees. This is a view where I can, I can spin all the way around and see the beauty of God's creation surrounding me. When you finally reach the summit, you realize you were there, that everything you saw on the way up was just a glimpse of the promise at the top. See, in, at the very beginning, at the time of creation, God offers that promise because God rests on the Sabbath. He offers you spiritual rest from the very beginning. At the time of Joshua, the people are, are on their way up the mountain. They've reached the promised land such that, that, that Joshua can announce, we have rest from our enemies on every side. And yet even there, they knew they were looking forward to an even greater rest, one freed from the, the worry of, of enemies, from the danger that's coming around them. See, the rest that was promised in Genesis was partially given by Joshua in the Old Testament but it is fully provided to us by Jesus. Look at verse 9. After Jesus' name is introduced with reference to Old Testament Joshua, verse 9 then continues, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, anchoring us back to that, that seventh day of creation, that God put aside a day for us to be in full communion and fellowship with him without worry or fear of, of all that was going on around us. We are free from the burdens now of our self-justification. For verse 10 tells us, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. 
See, when you enter the Sabbath rest of God, you get there not by your good works, not by your own striving, not by your own effort. You receive the rest of God by, by throwing yourself down upon the mercy of God, by putting your trust in the grace of God, the forgiveness that comes to us through Jesus Christ alone. You cannot earn your salvation. It has already been provided for you. There is a Sabbath rest given to you by God. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that you and I do nothing in response. Verse 1 said it, let us be careful that none of us be found to have fallen short. Verse 6 it told us that we, we must enter that rest, and there was a warning uh, there of, of the disobedience. Verse 2 says that, that we must combine the gospel with faith so that we can receive the promise of God. And verse 11 gives the, the clear command, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall away by following their example of disobedience. See, Hebrews is, is pointing our attention toward the future. For the first time, I'm thinking past tomorrow. I'm thinking about the eternal rest of God. Because this command to enter God's rest, it comes as a warning. Don't respond the way the, the Israelites did with a lack of faith. Don't respond in, in disobedience by turning your back on the promises of God. Turn from sin and put your trust in Jesus. What Jesus accomplished in the past gives you hope for the future and changes the reality of your present. Your hope for the future is based on what Jesus has already done and that actually changes the way you live right now. Because you're freed from the burden of trying to prove yourself to God or prove yourself to others. You can now rest in the goodness of who God is. You're freed from the worry that, that, the end, that things might not turn out okay because you know that God's, God's future is secure. His promises are sure. That by faith in Jesus, you can enter God's rest. And rest, rest is more than, more than physical. It's, it's more than emotional. It's a rest that's complete and, and full. When you come to Jesus, he provides you a Sabbath rest an eternal rest. Another pastor describes the rest that Jesus gives. Rest is the soul's sigh of joyful relief and satisfaction. It's the freedom from worry and fear. It's the sigh of, of joyful relief that comes from experiencing release from the anxiety of constantly wondering whether or not I've done enough to gain favor with God. Rest is the soul's sigh of relief that comes from never again fearing death as some dark and unknown termination. Rest is the soul's sigh of relief in knowing that even if everyone else abandons me, God is with me. Rest is the soul's sigh of relief in trusting the perfect and finished work of Jesus Christ for me rather than trusting the imperfect and never-ending effort on my own part. Rest is the soul's sigh of relief that comes when you forsake the endless and ultimately empty demands of religious obedience and you find everlasting peace and joy and hope in what God has done for you and you're set free to obey him in joy and love. You don't have to miss out. Today is the day that God warns you and offers you salvation. 
By faith, you can receive the rest that God offers. By faith, you can join in and say, I'm not throwing away my shot today. Right now, it's mine because of what Jesus, the Savior, has accomplished. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Jesus offers his rest to you. Rest for the future that gives you hope for today. Enter his rest. Let me pray. God of grace, we thank you that you offer spiritual rest to us. Lord, for those who are weary and burdened and, and frazzled by the, the frustrations of trying to chase after their own salvation, Lord, let them find grace in Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, we, we pray for those who have not yet responded in faith, that hearing your word read and preached, they would respond to this good news that today would be a t the day of salvation, that today they would hear your voice, that you would soften their hearts, that they would turn away from sin, away from disobedience, and follow you by faith. Lord, give us hope for today based on what you have done for us in Jesus. Give us hope for today that's based on the promise that you guarantee for our future. Lord, let us turn aside from from striving after our own salvation and find rest in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Father in heaven, we come praying in Jesus' name. Amen.